Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Well, I am Boog's Uncle Gary. He adopted me in. <laughs> I've, I've taught here a couple of times last year, and he was going to be away. I encourage you to pray for your pastor. He's away with some other pastors uh, this weekend, and it's so necessary for those that are in ministry to be able to be together with people who understand what, what they're going through. And so he's doing that this weekend with a group of uh, other pastors. So pray for him that, that he gets uh, refreshed and renewed and that uh, comes back different than he went away. Um, I've been attending two of the last three Sundays. I just wanted to see how he was doing this series, but I understand that he ended the series last week, and today is the first Sunday of a new series. So I'm kicking off a series that I didn't know I was kicking off, but he, he did something last week that I've never heard it. I've been in ministry for 40-something years, and I've never seen anybody do this. He said last week, he's, he's talking about relationships and forgiveness and apologizing, and he said it, it symbolizes the cross. Horizontally, we have this relationship with one another that we have to do that forgiveness and those apologies and stay reconciled with one another. And that's this way. And so this morning, I'm going to take us this way as it relates to sin and forgiveness between us and God. And so I've never heard that. Uh, but boy, it surely stuck with me that the cross is a picture of the relationships that we have as Christians. Our relationship with one another is so important, and our relationship with God is so important. We keep those clean as we go through life. I've got a question, and this is, I think, the question that Kim was talking about that the youth are going to maybe look at. Have you ever been through a situation that made you doubt God's goodness? Ever, ever been in a situation, been through a situation that made you doubt God's goodness? My wife and I planted a church over in Lake Elsinore 23 years ago. We started in a living room with 30 people. I didn't have big dreams of it becoming some big thing, uh, but over time, it started to grow. I found the, the key to church growth is when we first started in the living room with 30 people, I said, now, listen to me. Don't invite anybody. Don't invite anybody to come. For the next three months, let's just really get to know one another. Let's, let me tell you where I feel the Lord's leading me. So, so don't invite anybody. Within three months, we'd grown from 30 to 80. You know, so the, the key to church growth is tell them to do something and they'll do the opposite of it. So we grew to 80 where all of a sudden people are standing down the hall looking around the corner from the kitchen and we knew we had to find another place. So we found another place and then we grew some more. And, and I even had a church growth expert come and visit our church because we were, we were growing and he wanted to, 
wanted to understand why we kept growing. And he told me, he said, this church is going to stop growing soon. And here's what he told me, the reason the church would stop growing. Because you want to know everybody's first name. He watched me serve communion. And as people came up, I said, good morning, Rob. God bless you. Good morning, June. God bless you. I named everybody in line by their first name. Relationships are important to me, so I did that. And he said, the church is going to quit growing because you can only remember so many names. Well, he was wrong. We just kept growing. And then we started saying, somebody came forward and said, we need to find some land so we can build a building. I never thought. We've met in high schools. We've met in movie theaters. I mean, you name it, we've met in it. So I understand when you say you're a mobile church. I've done that for a long time. But we started looking for land, couldn't find any. And then one morning, somebody from our church was out to breakfast with a, with a friend of his. And this guy was making fun of him. He said, hey, are you still looking for property for your little church? And he said, yeah. And he said, well, come with me. I want to show you a piece. And showed him 16 acres of land, prime real estate, in between the 15 freeway and the 215 freeway. Connects those. Prime place. And he said, this is great. Let's do it. He says, it's going up for tax auction today. And he said, well, let's do it. And he said, you can't do it. You've got to have a tax ID number to bid. And every obstacle this guy threw out, when we finally got to the tax auction, the book was about that thick, and the property was about there in the book. So two guys that had already done environmental impact studies and all this stuff didn't come to the first day of the bid because they're not going to bid that much of the book. Well, the auctioneer got up, and he said, does anybody want to bid on anything from page 1 to page 225? And 15 people or so raised their hand. They bid on those, and then he kept going. So when it came time to bid on the 16 acres of land, $36,000. We raise our hand, going once, going twice, sold, $36,000. So we bought 16 acres of prime real estate for $36,000. The guy that went to do the bid was a pretty wealthy businessman in our area, and he said, hey, I found from the, co the controller of my company that if I keep the property in my name for a year, I can donate it for the appraised value rather than what I paid for it. It appraised for $1.2 million, so we got about a $700,000 tax write-off. So a year goes by, and he comes over, he signs it over to us, and and so he called me that night and he said, I don't feel right benefiting from this blessing. So he donated $700,000 to the church building fund. And then our, our conference of churches said, well, we can't match that, but we'll give you $300,000. So here we are, this small church. We own 16 acres of land, free and clear. We got a million dollars in the bank. Would you think that God is blessing this church, that he's pleased with us? We're about, we start construction, we're about 80% done with construction, and I get a call from the, the contractor that's overseeing the property, and he said, pray, the building's on fire. Within 35 minutes, both buildings were completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. Have you ever been through a situation that made you doubt God's goodness? Because people were starting to question it. 
Is God really in this? Because if so, why would this horrible thing happen to us? So I know that Pastor Boog's been doing this, so I'm going to do it again this morning. I want you to turn around, get in groups of three or four or five, and I want you to go through this question. Has there ever been a situation that you've been through that made you doubt God's goodness? So talk about what that situation was and what happened with it. Okay? So go ahead. I know that especially if you're new this morning, this is kind of weird. But it'll get you to know some other people. Okay, if you want to pull your chairs back and we'll get back into the message. <laughs> I know that that can be a very uncomfortable thing, but I am so excited that this church does that. Because it's so easy to come into this room, sit down, listen to something, grab a cup of coffee and a donut and get back in your car and leave and never make a connection with anybody in the church. And so you, you probably made more of a connection than most churches that are meeting this morning all across this area will ever do. It's how you get to know somebody, especially if you hear something in their story that you think is genuine and real and you think, wow, that, I, I, can, I can identify with that person. And so I really applaud you for doing that, as, especially for you introverts. I know that's horrible, but I really am glad that you were willing to do that. When, when the story I was telling you about our building, when, when it burned down, and so many people make appointments and want to come talk to me. I had people come in and tell me that the Lord had told them that I was building the building too big. And then I had people come in and said the Lord had told them that I was not building it big enough. And then I had people come in, thus saith the Lord, that said we were on the wrong side of the freeway. We should be on the other side of the 15, not on this side. And then I had people come in and look me in the eye and say, Pastor, there is sin in the camp. There's sin in the camp. That's why God burned it down. And sometimes we can get in that mentality that we think, if I'm really, really, really good, then God's going to really, really, really bless me. And if I really, really, really sin, then God's going to really, really, really punish me. And we can look at God. If we, if we look at that relationship like, if I'm good, I'm going to get blessed. And if, if I'm bad, oops, I'm going to, boy, I'm going to get it. If that's your view of your relationship with God, then listen carefully this morning. Now, you can find that in the Bible. The person that told me there was sin in the camp was referring to Joshua chapter 6. It's the story of when the children of Israel were now coming into the promised land, and their first obstacle was they were going to have to take on Jericho. And God gave them the most ridiculous marching plans. Can, I always imagine these, these warriors 
And they're ready to go fight. And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just march around the city. And it doesn't matter if they yell at you or scream at you or throw anything. Just march around the city. Have them do that day after day after day. And then they do it a whole bunch of times. Then they blow some horns and all the walls fall down. But God also gave them some very specific instructions. Do not take anything. Don't take any plunder. It's all devoted to me, God. Don't take anything. Okay? So this guy named Achan is part of the group. He sees this robe, some silver coins, and a little bit of gold. He takes them, and he buries them under his tent. They destroy Jericho. Now they've got to take on a lesser community called Ai. They go to do it. They didn't even take the whole group because, man, we can do this. 36 of their people got killed. So Joshua comes back and he's devastated. It's like, Lord, what's going on? And God says, there's sin in the camp. And he has them break up into tribes and families. And then finally it comes on Achan. And he says, yeah, I took some of the things and buried under my tent. They killed them. God was angry because he said, don't do this. And Achan did it. And ended up losing his life because of it. And so people that have this mentality that if I if I'm good, I'm going to get blessed. If I'm bad, God's going to punish me. A lot of it we find in the Old Testament. But when Jesus showed up, everything changed. We don't have this angry God anymore. Every time Jesus refers to God the Father, it's about love. It's about compassion. It's about mercy. He gives us this view of God that is so different from the Old Testament view of God. And so now, if we were living in the Old Covenant, and somebody came in and said, there's sin in the camp, that's why your building burned down, I probably would say, wow, let's, well, let's check that out. It's not me, it must be my wife. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, it, but that's not what we deal with today. We are living in the New Covenant, in the new relationship with God. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and starts talking about God the Father, it's always with love and compassion and mercy. But even Jesus was asked these kinds of questions. So if you, if you have your Bibles or you have your phone or your, however you read the word, and it'll be up on the screen, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 13. And in, this, in these verses, there's two situations that had happened there that would cause a person to think that we're still living under this old covenant thing. That's the mentality they have. Let me read it. It says, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans who, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or the 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. Unless you repent, you too will perish. Those who were asking these questions were still looking through that old filter that said, if you're good, good things will happen. If you're bad, Get ready for some wrath, because that's what God's going to bring. 
did they suffer because they were worse sinners? Jesus said, no. So if there's any correlation between sin and punishment, he would have easily said, yeah. Yeah, they, those people that, those 18 people that that thing fell on them, God tipped it over because, boy, those guys were really sinning. He did not say that. If it would have been true, he would have. Jesus used those tragedies to explain that God doesn't punish people, but that there is a fate that's worse than death. And that's where that repentance comes in. And that's what he wanted to remind them of, is to repent. Another time that Jesus was asked a question, and this one is found in John chapter 9, if you want to look that one up in your, in your Bibles. It says, as he went along, he came, he saw a blind man from birth, a man who was born blind from birth. His disciples said, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, rabbis in, the, in those days would say if somebody had blindness or leprosy or, or any kind of infirmity, it was because either they sinned or their parents sinned, and this was God's punishment. It's that Old Testament thing. If you're good, God's going to bless you. If you're bad, then punishment's on its way. Then the man. So as, even his disciples are saying, who sinned? This, this guy or his parents? Because there are some rabbis that thought that even babies in the womb could sin. And so they would teach that. If, if a baby was born blind or deaf or crippled, oh well, he, either the baby sinned or his parents sinned. That was their mentality. That's what these disciples were pushing up against. Who sinned? Jesus goes on to say, neither his parents or this man. Now, he wasn't saying there's no sin in this man or no sin in, the, in his parents. Because you and I both know there's not a person in this room that hasn't sinned. We all have sinned. Paul wrote in Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not one righteous, not even one, except for Jesus. So he wasn't declaring that these people were sinless. He was saying it wasn't a sin that caused this. This wasn't punishment for this man. And so he's making a very clear statement between this idea of sin and infirmity. If you keep reading, Jesus heals the man. He heals the man. To show God's glory. To show God's glory. And so, as you, as you look at the situation, he clearly just abolishes the notion that we serve a get-even God. And I, I would imagine this morning that there are some of us here that still view God that way. You know? If you do something that's really off the edge of sinful, you're, you're waiting for the punishment. You're waiting for the punishment. When, when my daughter, the little girl, she was notorious at lying. She would lie about everything. And I can remember a day that we came in and my wife had just made some chocolate chip cookies and there's some missing and we look at Jen, and she's got chocolate chips all over her mouth. Jenny, did you eat some of the chocolate chip cookies? No. Jenny, 
You got crumbs all over your face. I didn't eat them. Any, let me get a mirror. Look at this. Chocolate chips. Three are missing. They're in you. I, uh-uh. I don't know where this came from. <laughs> Must be Buzzy. She'd always blame it on her brother. Now she's lying right to the face. And it would take everything in my being not to just crack up because it was so ridiculous. But I just loved her like crazy. My son, Buzzy, who's taught here, he had the better way of doing it. If he got caught in something, he would use this line every time. Yeah, I did it, but I did it on an accident. <laughs> he never did anything on purpose. He would always say, I did it on an accident. And we would sit there and look at this little boy who would, he would always say it with a little pouty face, I did it on an accident. You know, his lips are all pouty. And I just love him. Well, that's the way God looks at us. He knows, he knows what we've done. He knows what you were doing that you're ashamed of. And he's not sitting up in heaven with a lightning bolt rather to, ready to smoke you. He just looks at him and says, I love him so much. Look how cute he is. He did it on an accident. You know? God loves you that much. And so when, when he's talking about this blind man, he's, he's, he's looking with these eyes of compassion and says, there's no sin in this man or his parents. But this for the glory of God, watch this. Jesus was always pointing people to a loving God. In John chapter 3, verse 16, and everybody in here probably memorized this as little kids. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whomsoever believeth him could have eternal life. And we usually stop it there. But look at verse 17. Is that up there? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's a loving God that says, I want these people not to perish. Scripture says he wants none to perish, not even one. He just wants us to admit what we did and change. That's what repent means. It means if you're, if you're going this way and you repent, you stop the direction you're going, you turn around and go the other way. He just wants us to repent. Quit doing that. When, when they brought this woman to Jesus who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they're ready to stone her, and Jesus says, hey, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. And they all, one by one, drop their stones and leave. And then he bends down to the woman and says, who condemns you? And she says, no one. He says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Quit doing this. Repent. Go the other way. That's what he does with us. God's not a scorekeeping sin God that's up there saying, wow, this is, this is getting bad. It says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm says that our sins are as far as the east is from the west when we confess them. We need to look at our God like that. And so I, I, I've looked at this and struggled with this many times in my own life where it's like I don't understand God. I don't understand why things happen the way they do. I don't understand why somebody that is good and righteous and serves him with all their heart 
has these infirmities in their lives, and here's somebody that just as sinful and greedy and wrong as they can be, and it just looked like God's blessing them like crazy. I served on the board of directors of an organization that helps people in Africa called Empowering Lives International. And I visited Africa many times. One of the first times I went there, I think I was there for like three weeks. In the first 10 days, I just went from village to village to village with my heart breaking, feeling so bad for these people who just live in poverty that you and I cannot imagine. And then the last half of my trip, I started realizing I feel really sorry for me. Because these people have something that I don't possess. See, in Africa, they value friendship. They value people, not things. They don't have things. But if you're my friend, and I've got a cup of rice, then you got a cup of rice. We're going to share this with you. If you're my friend, and you're out plowing your field, I'll stop and help you plow your field. Because I value our friendship. And I started feeling really sorry for me because we got all kinds of things. But not many of us have really close relationships. That's why I think what you do when you break up is so valuable. Because you get to know people a little bit more. You get to know their story. And so I came back not asking that why question. God, why is this? It's just help me to be more like them. Help me to value people rather than things. The, the, the trouble with going to a place like Africa is you come back and you can't live here like an African no more than I could have them live there like an American. But I can take some of those things from their culture and bring them and make them a part of my life. That's why relationships and friendships are so valuable. But I think I said this one of the times I preached before. We can look at situations where it looks like righteous people are just going through the mill and, and shake our fists at God and say, why is this happening? I've found that God doesn't answer why questions. He hasn't in my life. But he does answer what questions. God, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to do in this situation? When we go to God with what questions? And then we're willing to, to be patient. Which most of us are not that patient. We ask God for something and it's like, come on. Come on, God. And we expect a, you know, it's like a cosmic vending machine. I want to be four. And we push the button and it comes down the chute. That's not the way God answers prayer. Sometimes the real growth is in the waiting for the answer. It's where the spiritual discipline of silence comes in. You want to practice a spiritual discipline this week? Try silence. Ask God some questions. What questions? God, what am I supposed to be learning right now? What am I supposed to be doing right now? What am I supposed to be seeing right now? And then be quiet and listen. And you will be amazed when we sit in silence or when we're just reading through our Bible or we're just meditating on the Lord. 
the way he will speak to you. Silence is so incredibly important in our spiritual life. Because the truth be told, every one of us in this room are going to face difficult, challenging times in our life. Every one of us. I don't care how good you are or how bad you are. You're going to face difficult times in your life. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples. And, and what he said right before this was he was telling his disciples that he was going to be leaving. And, you know, if, if you were one of the disciples and Jesus says, I'm going to be going. You'd probably say, no, no, you can't go. But he said, unless I go, I can't send the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit. And so in John 16, verse 33, it says, I told you these things so that you can have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus was telling his disciples, hey, I'm getting ready to leave. But I'm sending you another. And I want you to have peace. We just celebrated Christmas a month or so ago. And, and one of the things that I love is at Christmas time when we talk about Isaiah's prophetic word of the coming Messiah. And one of the things he says he will be known as the Prince of Peace. Where Jesus is, there's peace. And it doesn't mean that the storm goes away. It doesn't mean that your circumstances are changing. But if you invite him into that situation with you, you can have peace. Because he's the Prince of Peace. And where he is, peace comes in. My wife and I have been going through a really difficult situation. And probably more than anything, I've said, God, please just give me peace in my heart during this time. The circumstances didn't necessarily change. But a lot of the time that I've dealt with this, I've had complete peace in my heart because he's the prince of peace. So if nothing else, what I want you to walk away this morning with is that we do not serve a God who's a scorekeeping God of our sins, tallying them up, seeing whether we'll be blessed or whether we're going to be punished. That's not who our God is. He's a loving God who sent his most precious son to die for us so that we could have our sins forgiven if we accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our own. That's who our God is. That's, that's how much he loves us. The scripture that was read in the midst of worship was from James. And it's, it's, a, it's a really confusing scripture because it, it, it just makes no sense. Because James is writing to a group of people who are scattered among the nations. Now, they didn't decide to move out for any other reason that they were being persecuted. So they had to leave. And this is what James says in James 2 or James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. It says, consider it. Pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind. That just makes no sense at all. But he's not saying be joyful that you're going through this. Thank God for that trial you're facing. But look at the outcome that can come because of that trial. He says, because we know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work 
so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I want to close with this thought, and I really want you to think about this this coming week. Think about the most difficult challenge that you faced in your life. It's probably past tense. You might really even be in the middle of it right now, but what's the most difficult challenge that you have faced in your life? You got it in your mind? If it's past tense, what did you come out with? What did you learn? What changed because you went through that? Because it's in the difficulties in our life that God does his best work. If you don't face challenges, we don't really have to rely on him very much. But it's in the the challenging times that God shows up and does something amazing to where we, we, we see something in our life that, that we need to deal with. We learn something about ourselves that we need to hand over to Him. And it's usually in those difficult times that we learn our biggest lessons. If you're truthful, the most difficult thing you face is probably your biggest growth spurt in your Christian life. I really grew when our building burned down. It really challenged me because everybody's coming to me wanting to know why it happened. I'll, I'll end with this. I'm standing there. I'm just watching this building burn. My cell phone rings. It's Paul Moyer from Channel 4 News. I don't know how Paul got my cell phone number, but he got it. So he says, listen, now, they've got the roads blocked. We can't, we can't get through. Could we do an interview with you live on Channel 4 News at 4 o'clock? You'll be our opening story. And I said, okay. What are you going to ask me? He says, oh, we'll just ask you a couple of questions. We'll call you back at 4 o'clock. So I'm there with a handful of people, and I, I said, hey, guys, pray for me that I just don't say anything stupid. You know, I don't know what he's going to ask. I just watched a building burn to the ground that I have come out to every day for over the last year just to walk around and see what's been done. And some guy's going to call me and I'm going to be on live Channel 4 News at 4 o'clock. So my cell phone rings. I pick it up and I hear them. Hey, we have Pastor Gary Ennis from the Lambs Fellowship. Pastor Gary, how's it feel to see your church burn to the ground? That was his opening statement. And I'm so glad that I asked my friends to pray that I wouldn't say anything stupid. Because that could have been, a, I could have said something really stupid right there. But I think God intervened. My answer was, oh, Paul, that was just a building. The people are the church and the church is still standing and praising God. That didn't come from me. <laughs> and he says, well, Pastor Gary, you certainly are a man of faith. And I said, well, at the foundation of the universe, God knew. That was Pastor Gary Ennis from the Lambs Fellowship. <laughs> Stopped it. He was not going to let me praise God for a tragedy that just happened. We put a big banner on the fence that surround the rubble. 
that hung there for over a year while we settled with our insurance company that said, the building burned down, but the people are still standing and praising God. I learned so much through that thing that could have easily destroyed me. Some of the biggest lessons I've ever had learned in my life came through what seemed like tragedy. But when you walk through a tragic moment, a devastating moment, and you're locked up with your arms in Jesus' arms, trust me, you're in no safer place than you could ever be. You have no greater opportunity to learn a lesson that can change your life if you lock on with the Prince of Peace and say, walk with me, talk with me, and tell me what I need to know, what I need to learn, what I need to see. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that you're not a God who, who's keeping a list out to punish us. You are a God that looks at us with sin all over us and says, they're just so cute. I just love them so much. God, I don't know what my brothers and sisters here have walked into this room with this morning. I don't know where they land on whether they see you as a punishing father or they see you as a gracious God. But I pray that something that was said and done this morning would, would penetrate any lie that they've accepted as truth. And that you would bless them in this new knowledge. And they would see you in a different way. They would see you who you really are. And God, I'm just so grateful for the opportunity just to bring just a little bit of good news this morning. And so bless my friends here. God, I, I just pray that you will give them a week as they, as they contemplate what some of the hardest things they've walked through. What lessons did they learn? And that eventually they would find themselves in a place of saying, God, you're so good. You're just so good. May we be able to see you how you really are. And may we rejoice in that. I pray this in the precious and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I uh, just was reminded of a, of a couple things as my brother Gary was sharing. And that Jesus is sometimes referred to as the suffering servant, as a man acquainted with sorrows. Uh, and that's helpful for me uh, because I do think that we are raised to live in sort of a punishment-reward sort of mentality. It's how we make our kids do what we want them to do, right? Like, if you do this, then you will get that. However, if you do that, then you get this, and you don't want that. And so it's hard to break out of that as, as, a, as now a grown child, in a sense, and thinking about God the Father, he would be the same way, right? If you do this, then you get that, but if you do that, then... Yeah. And Jesus is so great because he comes to clarify God's person, his character, and his purposes. And he asks us to change our thinking about absolutely everything. Everything. You have to start all over. You need to be born right from the beginning, all over again. The way you think it works is not the way it actually works. And that's tough. Uh, we have a lot of unlearning to do about how the world is actually, according to God. 
Uh, and Jesus comes to clarify that, and I'm grateful for that. And I, I think if, if he were here bodily, which I actually believe he is because this is the body of Christ, but if he were here to stand here and say something, I, I think he would love to communicate that there is this kingdom and that there is this way of being in the world and that you are beloved by the Father. Uh, it, it, it is, and it has no bearing on your circumstances or the things that you do or that have been done to you. Uh, you are just beloved because you are his. And, uh, and that is really comforting. You know, I think of the King David the poet who wrote, even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. And that with peace uh, is huge. As we were sitting in our little circle, it was, you know, have you ever doubted God's goodness? It's like, God, I, I'm not even thinking about God's goodness in those moments. I'm just mad, just angry that this is what is. Uh, but what's, what changes everything for me is God's presence. And so, you know, my, my prayer for you as you go out from this place this week is that you would experience the presence of God manifest in your life through the power of his spirit in some way this week that, that would surprise you, uh, that it may not change your circumstances. Uh, it didn't change Jesus's. He, he had to go through what he went through. He suffered. Uh, but he was never abandoned, and you are never abandoned. And uh, I, would, I would hope uh, for you an experience of being held in those places of pain and sorrow this week. So... Uh, Let's leave behind the scorekeeping God that maybe we walked in here with and begin to change our thinking to a God that has thrown out the books, that has said, I come to offer mercy, not sacrifice. I want you to go and learn what that means. That's what I'm about. That's what I desire. And he's full of grace and truth and light and offers rest. And so let's experience that this week and be that for someone in your life, okay? Amen. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, don't forget to get your kids and help us clean up if you like. And thank you for being with us. Mm -hmm.